Thank you, Aaron. I love those psalms of imprecation because it's sometimes we, as Christians, we find ourselves in a position where we want to be more holy and righteous than the Bible is, and and we're not. And uh, what we see there is is the is the psalmist bringing to God their desire for justice and for people who do evil to be destroyed. And I think that sometimes we have that in us, and it's unhealthy for us to ignore to ignore that. So. We're continuing our series to the cross where we're, we're following Jesus to the cross over the next little while as we head to Easter. And, and, and the point being that as we follow Jesus, we learn what he does because we want to do the same things as well. We want to be transformed and, and healed by, by learning what Jesus does and how he acts and interacts with people. And, and what we've discovered as we kind of looked at it was that there's three things that Jesus does as he walks to the cross. There's three things that we're going to observe him doing as we follow him that we want to learn from and, and, and that he teaches and that he heals and connects. And last week we talked about him connecting and how Jesus worked to connect with people that were far from him, that were people who were outside the normal range of acceptance. And not just virtuous poor people or sick people, but also people who were manipulative and rich. We saw that in Zacchaeus, that Jesus was, that, that all people, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their background, regardless of their, their ethnicity, regardless of their economic status, regardless of anything about them, were within the realm of Jesus' concern. We saw that last week, and that we ought to also do that as well, and that we ought to connect with who ever is in our path, the people that are trying to connect with us, that we should try and connect with them and not, and not set up walls that keep people out, but also that, that there's something right about associating and connecting with people that make religious people mutter. We saw that when Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus that all the religious people muttered to themselves about how terrible that was. And there's something good and guiding about doing things that make very religious people annoyed, that there's uh, something godly about that. So now we're going to look at healing, because Jesus heals on his way to the cross. And I want to I start this with, with, with some honesty, that, that, that as we talk about healing, I am a novice in talking about healing. I don't really know how to talk about it well for a whole variety of reasons. And if we're honest, healing within the church has had a long and convoluted history because we've always had people that have been physically healed within the context of the church. But sometimes that, that healing has, has, especially over the last, 19, last hundred years or so, taken a place that, is, that it feels distorted and outside of what God intended it to be. And if we're honest, we need to recognize two things. One is that people who are deeply in, in movements within the Church of Christ that have been deeply fascinated and associated with and pursuing, uh, and pursuing strongly physical healing coming from the Holy Spirit, that those movements have been, have been ripe, ripe for, for, for evil people to take advantage of people within that. That's just what we have to be honest about. There's whole movements that, uh, uh, and guys and, uh, and pastors like me who have lined their pockets with the desires of people who want to find healing in Jesus, and, and that's not good. So that's, but what's equally not good 
is the association with that, where, where kind of what people did in my respectable, quote-unquote, br branch of the church, is that we pushed away from that healing altogether and even came up with a theological category called cessationism, where we said healing doesn't happen anymore. It happened then, it doesn't happen now. We tied the Bible in knots with a really bad uh, interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13 to where we said healing doesn't happen anymore at all. But now we're confronted with the fact that like people seem to be being healed, right? See, people are being healed. And even as we're novices in this, and even as we're struggling to try and figure out a way to, to talk about it, we have to be honest about the fact that, that healing does happen. And there are people within this congregation who have had physical ailments healed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've talked to one person, and I know the other person quite well, so, and I know that they're willing to do this, and if there's any more, please do so. But if you have been experienced physical healing from the Holy Spirit, please raise your hand. Right? So, yeah, this happens. We know what happens. And it happens to people that we love and we care about and people that aren't crazy, right? So, so what is going on here and how would we begin to, to, to talk about it? Because the reality is Jesus does this. And it's important for us, if Jesus heals, that we should be healing as well. So what does that look like and what can we learn from it? And I want to be really honest. I'm coming to this as a novice. I'm learning just as much as you guys are as we walk through it. But I think these stories and of watching Jesus heal are going to tell us some interesting things about how we can bring healing where we go as well. So this is from, uh, this is from, we're, we're still in the book of Luke. So uh, it says, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Now, I want us to, to be aware, because when we read the Bible, we sometimes forget that it's funny. The, I want to point out the ridiculousness of this situation. This is essentially a Monty Python sketch that is happening. If they had silly British accents, this would be a Monty Python sketch, because Jesus heals this woman, and then a religious leader comes in and says, no, not healed. Healing doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Nobody's healed here, but I'm healed. No, 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 there's no healing happening here. No healing on the Sabbath. But she's healed. But no! But I'm straight, standing straight up now. Praise the. No, you're not. Still crippled. Right? That's what's happening here. Right? There's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And this is wrong. And, 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 there's inter and it's interesting here that, that healing often happens outside of the realm of what conventionally religious people feel comfortable with. So we see this continue. And Jesus responds to this. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said uh, th this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things he was doing. This is fascinating, because the Pharisees were so concerned about that people not work on the Sabbath that they forgot that there were rules on the Sabbath about exceptions to this, that, that you needed to take care of your animals on the Sabbath because your cow or your oxen or your sheep 
don't know that it's the Sabbath, and they still get hungry, the ungodly animals, right? So you lead them to water. And there's even exceptions in, in the book of uh, Leviticus where if your ox falls in a pit on the Sabbath, you're allowed to drag the ox out of the pit, right? Because, you, because God was very concerned, like, if your animal is hurt, don't just leave the animal until sundown and then you can help it, right? Don't be ridiculous. Help your animal out of the hole. And, he, and he's saying the Pharisees are more than willing to make this exception for animals, but they're unwilling to make this exception for human beings. Why? Because even in biblical times, people tend to care more about animals than we do about humans. Case in point, if someone put, there is now a law in the United States that makes it illegal to put a dog into an overhead bin. Why? Because the dog died in an overhead bin. Now, that's terrible. But within 48 hours, there was a law made about that, right? How many people have died in preventable situations that we do nothing about because we don't care about people nearly as much as we care about our pets, right? That existed then, and that Jesus criticized that, and we ought to take that to heart as well. So Jesus is frustrated. When he says all this, his opponents were delighted. So it's interesting. They're using the laws to prevent healing from happening, but Jesus uses the laws against them. So he works in their favor. So there's a few things that we learn, I think, and there's probably more, but there's a couple of things that we learn about healing just from this story that we ought to be paying attention to. The first is that healing comes from Jesus. Jesus is the person and the source of healing. It doesn't come from the woman. It doesn't come from the Pharisees. It doesn't come from the crowd. It doesn't come from some magic potion or water or fountain. The healing comes from Jesus. Jesus calls this woman forward, lays hands on her, and healing comes to her. And healing comes at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. It was against the rules, according to the very religious people, for healing to happen on the Sabbath. But healing happened on the Sabbath. Now, what are we to do with that, right? Healing comes at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. He, people are often surprised by healing. There is some times where we can go to the Holy Spirit and ask him, and he will show up miraculously in ways that we, did not, that we could not anticipate or imagine when we, immediately when we ask, to, ask him to at a healing service. That happens. But there's other times when he just shows up and heals in ways that we didn't expect him to. Healing comes at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. Now, there's another very interesting story further on in Luke when we start to talk about, when we're talking about healing as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he traveled from the, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, those of you who understand leprosy, it wasn't only a debilitating disease in that it affected your body. Leprosy, because it was so contagious, separated you from society, right? So because it made you ceremonially unclean, because it was extremely contagious, if you had leprosy, you had to live outside the village. You could not touch people who did not have leprosy. You couldn't eat with people who did not have leprosy. You had to operate your entire life outside the boundaries of society. And that's why when he's outside the village, these 10 men are together and they ask him to have mercy, have pity on them. So they stood at a distance and called out. And that's why they're keeping their distance as well. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on them. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now this was... The reason why Jesus does this is very interesting. 
Because if they were to become cured, it wasn't enough for them to merely be, be physically cured and not have leprosy anymore. If they were going to be reintegrated back into society, they had to go show themselves to the priests and demonstrate that they were clean. So that was the first step to them to being able to participate in life as they had before. It wasn't merely the physical healing. It was also the societal and emotional healing that needed to take place. And Jesus says to them, from a distance, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. So one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is very interesting. The Samaritan comes back. Something interesting about this, because, because, they, because Jesus is operating under the principle that they're all Jewish people who need to be approved and integrated back into society in the typical Jewish ways. This man is a Samaritan. He does not give two hoots if he's integrated back into, into Jewish society because he's already ostracized as a Samaritan. So as he's walking towards the priests, he finds himself healed. He doesn't need to go forward to them. He wants to go back to Jesus. It's a fascinating Fascinating story as this works. And we learn, I think, some more things about healing from this story. That healing comes from Jesus. That healing comes at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. That healing comes to unexpected people. These people weren't necessarily virtuous. These, Jesus didn't know anything about them. He didn't know that they had been in prison for 18 years. He didn't know that they were good people or bad people. He didn't know anything about that. They were people who asked for mercy, and he gave it to them. And some of them were Samaritans, people that were already ostracized from society. Some of them were Jews, people that were already integrated into society. And Jesus met them. And, and this reinforces that it comes in unexpected ways because the first woman, Jesus healed by laying hands on her and praying for her. The second, Jesus just says, you'll be healed on your way. Doesn't touch them, doesn't have any physical contact with them. But as they walk away from him, they are healed. There's not one method for this. But I think that this is incredibly important. The proper result of healing is a deeper connection with Jesus. Right? So the, Jesus said, we see this in the story, that Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where were the other nine? And I appreciate what, what, what he's saying here. And, I, and, and, I, and I'm sympathetic to the other nine because there's part of me that if Jesus had have said, to, if I was a person with leprosy, and Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, and as I walked on that way, I found myself healed, right? I would continue to do what he told me to do, right? I would be like, well, I'm not going to, this is working. I'm not going to stop the thing that's working in order to go back and, and do something else. But it's interesting that what Jesus values that the purpose of their healing is that they connect with him. And we see this in the Samaritan, that the Samaritan comes back and connects with Jesus. But the most important thing about our healing, if we've experienced physical healing, is not just that we experience physical healing, that's a side effect. But the purpose of our physical healing is that we deeply connect with Jesus, that we understand the source of our healing, and that our relationship with Jesus grows deeper and stronger and more beneficial to those around us as a result of our physical healing. Um, and I want to go back to the, the unexpected people. 
Like sometimes healing comes to people who ask. They actually ask, Lord, please heal me, and they're healed. Sometimes, as we see throughout the scriptures, as Jesus heals multiple people, sometimes Jesus just walks up to people and heals them. It's like, ah, you get up and walk, you're healed now, and changes their life in a moment. Sometimes it happens to people that we expect. Sometimes it happens to people that we don't expect. And what's interesting to me about this story is that I don't, we don't have any evidence and we don't get any impression that the healing of the nine was negated when they didn't come back to Jesus to give thanks to him. That was a gift that Jesus gave regardless of their response to it. So the, nine, so the, the one who experienced the most beneficial purpose of the healing is the one who was healed and turned to Jesus. But the other ones just experienced physical healing, which is great, don't get me wrong. And it's wonderful and it's good and I'm sure that they were quite excited and happy about it. But the best thing that they could have done was to connect with Jesus. And the refusal to come back does not negate their healing, but the most important thing that happens is a connection with the God who sees us, who responds to us, and who heals us. One of the most, and I don't know what this is like physically, but I know that emotionally one of the most hurtful things that happens to humans is to feel like we're ignored and that we're unseen or that we're unimportant and that no one notices. And what this healing does is it confirms to us in every way that God sees you, that God understands your needs, that God is moving toward you, and as a result, we ought to connect with him. There's another story that I want to wrestle with a little bit in this as well. Because as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is, what, what, what's happening? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Which I find is just this fascinating question. The man's blind. The man's probably obviously blind. He's brought as a blind man to Jesus. He's saying, son of David, have mercy on me. And the first thing Jesus says is, what do you want me to do for you? Which is a way of seeing the man that I think is very interesting and that we ought to emulate as well. Because he doesn't see this man as merely his disability. He's blind. But that's not necessarily the thing that is most wrong with him. That is not necessarily the thing that needs to be healed. And what is obvious about people to us isn't necessarily the most deeply important thing to them. And Jesus has the grace and the courtesy to say to this man, what do you want me to do? And the man says, Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when the people saw it, they also praised God. So we continue to learn that the proper result of healing is a deeper connection with Jesus. We see that in this man. He gets up and he begins to follow Jesus. And we also see that in this story, healing sometimes requires persistence through opposition. We see this when the man calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And people say, shh. 
Son of David, have mercy. Son of David, have Sometimes healing requires persistence. And it feels unfair because there's some people who get feel healing without asking for it, and there's some people that have to yell and yell and yell and yell and yell to be noticed. But sometimes healing requires persistence through opposition. Sometimes there are people around who just want you to be quiet, who just want you to stop, who just want you to move out of the way, who just want you to recognize that this is the Sabbath and what you're going through is not proper. But through opposition, God will heal. Healing sometimes requires persistence through opposition. And healing is a partnership between Jesus and the healed. And this is something that I'm kind of uncomfortable with because I'm completely confident and deeply committed to the fact that healing completely comes from Jesus. But we see that he says to the woman and he says to this man as well, and he says to the, sorry, he says to the one of the ten, your faith has healed you. He says to this man, your faith has healed you. Somehow there's a partnership happening here. Now, we need to wrestle with the fact that, that we know from Scripture and from experience that, that faith isn't required for healing. In the Old Testament, Naaman, the, the Philistine warlord, was healed. When, when the prophet, he, he had leprosy and he wanted to be clean, and the prophet said to him, go bathe seven times in the Jericho River. Uh, sorry, in the Jordan River. And then and he, Naaman was mad about it. He was like, I don't want to, it's a dirty, gross river. I don't want to wash in that river. He's like, why can't I wash in a nice river or a clear pool up in Babylon if it's just about the washing? And the prophet says to him, no, go he sends out a servant to go wash in the River Jordan. And finally, Naaman, not having any faith that this will work, Naaman didn't have deep faith. He did it reluctantly. He was like, fine, I'll go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And he goes, and he washes in the Jordan River seven times, and what happens? He's clean. He had no faith. He didn't believe that this was going to work. He just had no other options. And what happened? God met him. But he was obedient. So somehow that partnership makes it up. We see it in other places too. When I've heard the story of a, of a, of a pastor that I know and respect, and, and he went to see a very famous and now kind of exposed as a charlatan healer in a stadium. And he went to, somebody gave him a ticket for the stadium, and he, and he went as a cessationist, somebody who believed that healing did not happen in our day and age. And he went with his arms crossed, and he sat in the upper deck of this stadium but he did have a physical ailment. He had extreme back pain. And he could walk, and, but it was debilitating. He couldn't do, there was lots of things that he couldn't do. But he was very committed, and he wanted to just sit as an observer with this charlatan person that he didn't believe healed. And, and he sat there in the upper deck, like looking at all of these poor people who were being fooled by this, by this faith healer on stage. And even though he believed in Jesus, he was just like, this doesn't happen in this way. And as he's sitting there watching watching this happen, the person on the stage starts to say, there's someone in the upper deck who does not believe that this is real. There's someone who, on the upper deck who doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is working through me. There's someone in the upper deck who has back pain. There's someone in the upper deck who is sitting with their arms crossed and has back pain right now, and the Holy Spirit has healed you. And the man found that his back pain was gone, and he was healed. And he didn't know what to do with that. 
because he had a bad attitude and he didn't believe that this person healed. And he didn't have any faith that any healing would happen at this meeting. And what happened? He got healed. So what do we do with that? But somehow, God reached out and grabbed him and touched him. So we, what we learned from that is that it's the Holy Spirit and God that does the healing, not whoever happens to be distributing the healing. But that somehow this partnership exists where we have to live in the healing that we've been given and that, and that we have to trust that healing actually happens, and, 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 but sometimes it doesn't require that partnership at all. I'd, I'm still struggling to, to come to terms with this. He, but like, I, because this leads us to, I think, what is the most frustrating of questions for this. And one of my most frustrating things so I'm following Jesus to the cross in the word, but I'm imagining it in my head that I'm, I'm following him. We're, we're walking down the street, and I'm seeing all the things that Jesus is doing, and he's teaching, and I'm fine, and I'm agreeing with all of that. But he heals this woman. Okay, great, awesome, I'm feeling pretty good about that. And then he heals the ten men, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. And, and, then, and then he heals this, this blind person, and it's like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But my frustration starts to build each time because you're thinking what I'm thinking is that, well, why doesn't he heal that person? Like, I know you, can, you just showed me you can heal this person. Why doesn't he heal that person? And it's very easy to say, well, that person doesn't have enough faith to get healed. But the reality is that's not true. Because I've seen Jesus heal people with no faith. I've seen Jesus people feel, heal people with bad attitudes. I've seen Jesus heal people who are sinners and ungrateful. So I'm left with the question as I'm following him, Jesus, why are you not healing everybody? That doesn't seem to be the point. That doesn't seem to be the most important thing that he's doing. And in between now and eternity, I don't have an answer for you, but I think that we're just called to live in this frustration where we don't have really good answers for why Jesus isn't healing everyone. But what he's saying is that everyone is loved and everyone is seen and everyone is cared for and everyone has life abundant now and for eternity and that the physical ailments that cause us so much stress now might not be the most important things for us eternally. I don't like that answer, I've got to be really honest with you. I'm frustrated because I think that if Jesus, if you've got the power to heal everyone, just do it. But he doesn't. And he does it specifically when his glory will be revealed and when it will cause other people. Jesus only heals us physically when what, when what heals most deeply is going to be affected as well. It's more important that our souls be fixed than our bodies. So what do we do with this? Because the reality is I want us, I don't want to be a novice at healing forever. I'm not content with that. I don't think that that's what we've been called to. And I think that when we're mature as Christians, we're going to experience some sort of healing taking place in and among us. That this seems to be that when the church is working properly, there are people being healed emotionally and spiritually and financially and all those things, but also they're being healed physically. That seems to be the natural outcome of people following Jesus well together properly. So I want to have that as well. So I think that there's one thing that we can unequivocally say that we can change in our behavior as we start to take healing seriously is that we can bring and come to Jesus for healing. 
We need to exile the idea from our minds and our hearts and our churches that Jesus doesn't heal. Okay? We need to exile that idea. It's, a theologi- it's theologically incorrect. Okay? And I'm very comfortable saying that. But it's also spiritually wrong that we do not bring people to Jesus for healing. And we ought to be persistent and, 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 and strong in declaring God's healing over people, even when it doesn't come when we want it to, because it comes unexpectedly and in unexpected ways, even when it comes to people that it comes or doesn't come to people that we would like to. The job of the people of God is to bring people to Jesus for healing. We want to be like the four friends with their paralyzed friend who cut a hole in the roof to drop their friend down to Jesus. That's what we've been called to do. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side of cutting that roof open. But we're, but we're convinced that, something is gonna, that, that, that Jesus has the power to do something. So we're going to bring our friend who is hurt, who is sick, who is in pain. We are going to bring them to Jesus. We're going to do that ourselves as well. We're not going to shrink back and say, well, I'm not... I don't, I'm not, I don't think that Jesus can heal me. We're going to bring ourselves to Jesus as well, and we're going to say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. We're going to bring and come to Jesus for healing, and I believe that there is maturity for us to be, fa- uh, to be found for us in there. And in the midst of bringing and coming, we're going to declare and expect healing to happen. I've got to be honest, there's times when I've, been, I've not... There's times when I've not prayed for healing because I felt that my faith was entirely too small and if Jesus didn't do what I asked him to do, then the whole thing was going to come crashing down like a house of cards. That's not what we've been called to. Jesus doesn't heal consistently and in ways that we'd expect, but his expectation is that we will declare that, yes, Jesus heals. And I have never experienced laying hands on somebody and healing them, but I know my dad had his back healed, so I trust him. And I know that Aaron was healed, and I trust her, okay? And I'm sure your experience is true as well. So I trust that it happens. So because I trust these other people who have experienced something that I haven't, I'm going to declare that healing happens. It doesn't matter whether I've seen it or not. Healing happens. And I'm going to expect that healing is going to continue to happen in me and in other people. We're going to declare and expect it. That is our job as the people of God. We will not be dismayed. We will not get cynical and cross our arms when we're like, well, I don't know if that healing really happened. Let's see if it, if it still kicks in in about 18 months or so. We're going to declare and expect healing to happen. And the other thing, and this is the most important and the easiest thing to do, is we're not going to get in the way of other people healing, other people's healing. So fascinating to me that in two of these stories and in so many stories throughout the New Testament, people come to Jesus for healing and other people are like, meh, actually, we'd prefer you didn't heal. It's very inconvenient for you to ask for healing right now. This is an inappropriate thing to happen right now. And people who are religious... People who are trying to follow Jesus get in the way of other people coming to Jesus for healing. We need to make sure that we are not doing that. We need to get out of the way. If if we are not yet at the place where we can declare and bring people to Jesus for healing, we at least need to get out of the way. Because I've been that person getting in the way with my arms crossed being, well, like, I don't know. I don't know that the Lord works that way now. Why am I getting in the way of something? Holy Spirit doesn't ask my permission to do his work. 
Holy Spirit doesn't ask my permission to heal people. The Holy Spirit doesn't ask my permission to, to, to doesn't ask me to theologically approve everyone that he's going to heal people through. The Holy Spirit heals people. So I don't want to get in their way. And I'm going to take my, and we can do that so easily by just opening up our hearts and our minds and saying, okay, God, you're doing stuff that I don't understand. And if someone comes to you and says, I've been healed by the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord with them. What good does it do you or them to argue with them about, well, not really, technically, it's not the proper day for the healing, so get out of the way. Let's get out of the way. Don't get in the way of other people being healed. And I'd like to say, and I'm very confident in saying, this isn't the last conversation that we're going to have about this. Because I think if we're truly going to be becoming mature as a church in healing, then we're going to spend some more time talking about this. And I'm not going to be a novice anymore in another year or two. I'm not saying I'll be an expert, but I'm not going to be a novice anymore. And you're not going to be novices either. And I believe that as we start to mature as a church, I'm very confident that the next time that I ask who here has experienced supernatural and spiritual healing, there's going to be a lot more hands come up. Because throughout the Bible, that is what God has promised, that he heals. Because it's a foretaste of his coming glory. And we're not going to diminish or get in the way of the work that the Holy Spirit has done for the last 2,000 years and say it can't happen here, it can't happen now, it's very inconvenient for it to happen now. We're going to trust that God works in every way. Now, I also want to be very clear, go get your vaccinations and go to your doctor's appointments. Don't (laughs) eat right and exercise. We're not going to be silly about these things either. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us. But we're also going to bring people to Jesus. And we're going to expect that Jesus is powerful and strong and loves us. And he wants people's healing every bit as much as we do. And even if he doesn't, and even if we've diagnosed the problem wrong and we think that their biggest problem is back pain, and what Jesus recognizes is their biggest problem is that they are unrepentant in their heart, we're going to be okay with that. Or if the Jesus recognizes that we think someone's problem is 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 different is that the, they they need to experience forgiveness in a way that they haven't experienced before then we're going to be okay with that too and and we're going to make room for the holy spirit to do what the holy spirit does and let's pray together god we are thankful that you heal and that you heal our bodies that you heal our spirits, and that you heal our souls, and you ensure that we are healthy enough to live now and for eternity. And you are not allowing any, you are not going to allow any disease to destroy us forever. So even as we pray to you for healing, help us to to get what is the most important part of healing, which is a deeper and more full and concrete relationship with you. Help us to pursue the healing that you, would have us, that, that you would have us pursue. Help us to continue to bring people to you for healing and help us to get out of the way of those who have and are being healed by you. We, we ask that we not shrink back, that we not get cynical, that we not get overly religious and concerned about the hows and the whys and the wherefores, but that we, but that we trust that your Holy Spirit is working in, in ways beyond what we could ask or imagine. And, that we, and we also ask, Lord, that if there is anyone sick here in body, 
for those who are experiencing pain in their joints, for those who are experiencing diseases that are growing beyond what they control, we ask that you intervene, that your Holy Spirit bring freedom from pain and freedom of movement, that your Holy Spirit and Jesus bring bring healing and, and shrinking of tumors and diseases. We believe that you can do this, God. So we pray for physical healing for this congregation, for ever anyone in this congregation, for anyone who... who, who for anyone who is loved by a person in this congregation, that as we talk about healing or disease or pain, that their minds or hearts go, go to them, we pray for healing for them as well. That as a foretaste of your coming kingdom, as a demonstration of your strength and your goodness, that they would experience freedom from pain. That people who are unable to sleep would be able to sleep regularly. That people who are, that, that, that people who are experiencing uh, a, a diminished movement and an inability to to participate with their family and friends and all of the things that you have called them to participate, that they would experience freedom of movement. We believe that you can do that, God, and we, and we ask that you would help us to continue to do that, not shrink back when we don't hear reports of this happening quickly enough, and to not shrink back when we, when we hear reports of it coming back too quickly and we're frightened of the power that you have given us. But we ask that tumors shrink. We ask that, that joints be freed up. We ask that sleeping patterns be restored to what is healthy and, and good for community with the people around us. And we ask that you bring healing in our bodies. Help us not to shrink back from that. We repent of all of the times that we have, that we have looked at the size of our own faith and not at the size of your power. And we ask that as we sing songs, as we meet at your table, that this would be a foretaste of your coming kingdom and that we would experience the healing that you are bringing us now and for eternity. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So what we're instructed to do is to remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And we remember that the most important thing that we need to be healed has been healed by Jesus in his death and resurrection. That while we were yet sinners, while we were yet experiencing that separation, while we were yet broken, while we were unrepentant, Christ died for us. And in his body and in his blood, we can experience healing and restoration now and for eternity in the most important ways that we could have. So I ask you, as we come to this table, to prepare yourself to experience the healing that is found in Jesus to repent of anything that might keep you from that, to repent of any uh, uh, unselfishness uh, uh, of spirit that keeps you looking at yourself rather than looking to God. And take a moment to prepare ourselves. This table is open to anyone, regardless of where you're at, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what you're experiencing now, this table is open to you. But this table belongs to Jesus. And in his blood and in his body, he wants to bring you life and healing and hope. So let us pray. Let us ask for healing in all of the ways that we need to be healed. And let us repent of all of those things that have kept us from looking for that healing in the past. Let's take a moment in silence to pray together.